success lies giving, not receiving, in maximizing your life worth, not your net worth. Because, you know, in my experience is that if you focus more on life worth rather than net worth, your net worth needs get taken care of. Hello, I'm Noelle Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank Investment Banking Group. Stewardship Asia Centre, or SAC, was established under Tamasek in Singapore to advocate the mindset and practice of steward leadership, one that embraces interdependence, the needs of people and the planet for sustainable corporate performance. This can be a blueprint on how enterprises should make money in the 21st century. But it is also a way of life. The principles are not new though, and not all companies and people are still on board. What could accelerate change? I discuss these big picture issues with SAC CEO Rajiv Peshafria. He is the former CEO of Eclipse Leadership and Governance Centre under Bank Nagara Malaysia and has written a couple of books, the last one being Open Source Leadership. Why did Tomasic set up the Stewardship Asia Centre or SAC? You know, as an institutional investor and asset owner, Tomasic has always been a proponent of this idea of doing well by doing good. Uh, and of environmental and societal sustainability. So this is something they've had in their DNA all through. And SAC was set up about seven to eight years ago uh, to promote awareness and about responsible investing as well as about sustainable business. So it's a nonprofit think tank that tries to promote awareness, know-how on how to not only invest responsibly, but how to create sustainable businesses. Why the word stewardship? Is it meant to suggest something broader than ESG or sustainability? Yes. Uh, in fact, both ESG and sustainability are subsets of how we define stewardship. So we define stewardship as the mindset of creating value by integrating the needs of all stakeholders, society, future generations, and the environment. Responsible investing are all forms of stewardship. How do you create this stewardship mindset, so to speak? The first thing to do is to make a choice as to how do you want to sort of live your life, right? Um, there are two ways of living. One is that, you know, I want to maximize my own welfare, my own wealth and the wealth of my shareholder. Uh, the other is that, no, I want to make my life mean a lot more than just accumulating wealth for me and my shareholder through my company and leave behind something that is useful to society. So hence this idea of uh, creating value by integrating the needs of all stakeholders, society, future generations, and environment. The first step is to make a choice. Do you believe in these ideas? And if you do, then am I willing to do something about it? This seems like a fundamental question, but I think the answers are becoming clear. Uh, and we should talk about it. Why is it important for businesses to have broader objectives? If you talk to a lot of people, they will tell you it's the right thing to do. That is why. And that's true. But I think it goes much beyond that. I think today, businesses that ignore the idea of stewardship, that you should be creating value by integrating the needs of all stakeholders and the environment, if you ignore these ideas, do so at your own risk. Now, why do I say that? You see, compared to even 10 or 15 years ago, today we operate in a totally transparent society. Everything you say and everything you do is in full public view as an individual and as a company. And individuals have never had more power than they have today because everybody has a supercomputer in their pocket, right? Younger generations in particular are demanding that I will only buy your product if you do it the right way. So if there's a choice, our research shows that if there's a choice, 
of buying product A versus product B. And as long as if product A is sourced sustainably and B is not, people will choose A versus B. They will even pay a small premium for A. So you have to do it today for your own good, if nothing else. And of course, because the world needs it and your children need it. How do you activate steward leadership in Southeast Asia, where economic development is uneven and there is a huge income divide? So steward leadership, I'm glad you mentioned the term, is needed even more in the developing world than uh, in, in the Western world because large portions of society in the developing world are being left behind in many ways. As you mentioned, income inequality is stark in Asia, uh, as is the ability of the masses to protect themselves from severe weather conditions that are caused by climate change, right? So to your question about how it can be practiced, well, let us first understand what steward leadership is. Steward leadership is the genuine desire and persistence to create a collective better future. So in business, it is about leading and living in the way that creates value for a wide variety of stakeholders, not just shareholders. In government, it is the same. It is about pursuing policies and programs that do the greatest good for society and directly address the most pressing challenges of today, like income inequality. So as to how it can be practiced, as I said earlier, the short answer is by deciding to. You have two choices, either maximize your own wealth or do something worthwhile in the world you practice it by accepting the challenge uh, and making the choice. What happens when there is a conflict? So conflicts are resolved with one's values, right? Uh, so you can only practice steward leadership if you believe in four core values. The first is interdependence. Interdependence says the belief that my, my well-being and success depends on yours and yours depends on mine. Right? If COVID-19 has taught us one thing, it is that no one is safe until everyone is safe. So if you don't believe in interdependence, you don't believe in stewardship. Right? And if you believe in interdependence, there is no conflict. There is no conflict. We don't see any conflict between shareholder wealth and, 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 and societal benefit. As I was mentioning earlier, we live in a, in a transparent, naked world. Businesses that don't do right by society and by planet Earth will not survive in the long term. There are plenty of research now that shows that actually you will drive superior long-term shareholder returns by uh, applying steward leadership. So interdependence is one thing that sort of literally kills conflict. Along with that, you're going to need three more values, ownership mentality. Yes, it is hard to drive superior returns through stewardship. But that's the challenge of the 21st century. You've got to take ownership of that uh, long-term view. This is not, it may be, there may be some conflict in the short term. But then short-term behavior, as we know, does not create long-term growth. So if you think long-term, there is no, there's no conflict. And finally, you're going to need creative resilience because you will have obstacles, you will have difficulties, and to not give up and to be creative, to come up with innovative solutions, to create business models that actually create value by meeting the needs of all stakeholders. If you believe in these four values, then there is no conflict. This is the basis of steward leadership. What are the opportunities or low-hanging fruits to activate steward leadership? So, you know, there are so many opportunities that I don't even know where to begin. You are a business, depending on what your industry is, your goal is to maximize shareholder wealth, right? So look at some of the biggest pain points in society and see if you can create business models 
that actually give superior business returns while at the same time addressing the challenges. So take income inequality for one. You know, basic products and services that you and I take for granted are beyond the reach of large uh, sections of society in Africa and Asia. Can a FMCG company create products and services that enable those people to also enjoy the same things that you and I take for granted at an affordable price point? And does this bottom of the pyramid business strategy create profitable returns for shareholders? That's the business model you've got to create. So that's just one example. There's plenty of opportunity. The financial world is today looking at ESG financing and green financing. That's an opportunity. Uh, there's so, so many, you name it, you know, because science is giving us ideas. Uh, governments are giving us ideas through regulators. There's plenty of opportunity. The, 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 the problem is not the shortage of opportunity. Uh, the problem is, do we believe in those values? And do we want to accept the challenge of 21st century leadership, which is to create profitable business models uh, that address the very challenges that humanity is faced by. The ideas you talk about are not new. Bottom of the pyramid, social entrepreneurship and other labels and concepts come to mind. Why has it taken so long for these ideas to come to fruition? Companies continue to operate mostly as they are. Um, is it due to the capitalistic nature of our markets that demand short-term thinking and actions? And, um, you know, what are the obstacles to change that prevent CEOs and boards of directors from operating in a more enlightened way? Short-term view is the number one problem. You know, Wall Street has perpetuated this short-termism, if you will, uh, and that, that's what, uh, you know, CEOs live quarter by quarter by quarter. That is the number one problem. Uh, at a more fundamental level, though, I believe it is the default misunderstanding of what we call life and happiness. Right, we are born um, from the day we sort of come to our senses, we are told to get ourselves a good education and get ourselves a well-rounded development so that one day we can stand on our feet, get a good job, start a business and be financially independent. And then we have a family and then the rest of the life goes in sort of you know, making the maximum possible fortune for the family. That is what we call life and that is what we call happiness. In other words, we spent our entire life accumulating our networks and maximizing our networks. What uh, a lot of my research now shows is that actually you get more happiness by giving rather than by getting, right? Much more happiness is derived and much more success is derived by giving rather than by getting. And that is a fact that is completely lost on the majority of the people. So that is the other problem at the more fundamental level that I misunderstand what the purpose of life is. I misunderstand what happiness is. Um, uh, but uh, in, in, in sort of more businessy language, it would be uh, your point about short terms. In this part of the world, and for sure Singapore, economic progress is a priority, in fact a mantra. Um, but businesses don't operate in a vacuum. Owners and managers are not compelled to change unless society's priorities shift to demand more balance. Um, might this require a more whole society transformation, a rewriting of a social contract of sorts, or you know, providing a broader social protection, social safety nets, so that people are less inclined to be in this constant survival mode? I think, I think it's already happening. Uh, nothing that I have said uh, today uh, is new. The people who are so-called awake and enlightened, they always knew about interdependence. They always knew that life is not just about accumulating net worth, it's about accumulating life worth, meaning making your life worth it. 
right? Uh, so none of this is new stuff, except that, you know, we are just so buried under, under consumerism and materialism that we've forgotten these basic truths. And the good news, though, is that uh, if there is a silver lining to the cloud, dark cloud of COVID, is that COVID is making us realize how interconnected the world is. What are the consequences of leaving others behind and thinking only about yourself? So I think we are at a point in time, and also thanks to technology and connectivity, uh, where good and bad behavior comes to light almost instantaneously. Uh, there is this built-in audit mechanism in today's society that the moment you do something good or bad, it's going to come out. So uh, there are positive signs that you know that uh, awareness is coming. I'd like to go back to the point about short-term thinking. Um, it seems to me the role of institutional investors is key in um, you know, shaping the behaviour of board of directors, how are you engaging with them to activate stewardship, leadership, and, and see the change you want to see? So one of, the, one of the aspects of what SAC works on is investor stewardship. Uh, and investor stewardship is about uh, you know, uh, asset owners and institutional investors actually taking a much more active role uh, in the investing companies and demanding uh, the right behaviour from their investee organization. First of all, invest in companies that they have faith in that actually will uh, take the challenge of driving returns by addressing the challenges of humanity. And secondly, then make sure that corporate governance is supported. Uh, example, in 10 years as CEO of Unilever, Paul Polman, when he was CEO of Unilever, he drove 290% shareholder returns, which were like amazing at his time, uh, by creating what's called what was called the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan. He, he showed the world that it was possible to make money by actually uh, making businesses sustainable. And he could not have done it without the support of the board. For the first two years, the stock tanked. Wall Street wrote it off. 75% of his senior leadership team quit because they thought this guy was taking the company to the, uh, to the dumps. But his board stood by him and said, no, this is the right vision. Go ahead. And then the magic started to happen. So institutional investors have a huge role to play on the, on the board in making sure that the right behavior is, 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 is percolated throughout the organization. How might stewardship leadership be different from enlightened leadership? When you, when you look up the words enlightened leadership, which I did literally a minute ago, um, uh, here's what comes up on the top of the Google page, right? One who exhibits high emotional intelligence, compassion, and focus. While steward leadership also requires compassion and focus, it goes well beyond emotional intelligence. You know, we talk a lot about emotional intelligence these days. So emotional intelligence, as I understand it, has two things. A, I must understand my own emotions and regulate them intelligently. And B, I must understand your emotions and respond to them intelligently, right? So it's all about intelligent response to your own or other people's emotions. In other words, it's an on-the-surface skill that can be faked. What we talk about in steward leadership is the concept of emotional integrity. Integrity must come before emotional intelligence, meaning what is emotional intelligence? It is looking at the mirror and admitting to yourself what you really want out of life for yourself. And the first question about steward leadership is, uh, do I want to be a steward leader? So steward leadership, particularly in business, says, I accept the 21st century leadership challenge, which is to drive superior shareholder returns by addressing the very challenges that are threatening humanity and planet Earth today. 
uh, it is about that genuine desire and persistence to create a collective better future. Uh, so that is what steward leadership is. It goes well beyond this narrow definition of enlightened leadership, which is mostly based on emotional intelligence. So if you could explain to us, what are the building blocks of your plan to catalyze change? So we're doing several things at SAC. First, we've created uh, a whole lot of literature and practical models to embed the idea of stewardship and steward leadership within the DNA and culture of organizations. So the four values that I talked about earlier, uh, we've created something called the stewardship compass, which says that if a company wants to drive superior shareholder returns through stewardship, not only do they need to really make those four values part of their culture, which means your incentive systems, your promotion systems, your recruiting systems must all be based off, off of those values. Based on those values, give yourself and articulate a stewardship purpose. A stewardship purpose is different from other purposes in that it aims to create a collective better future. So we've, first of all, the one aspect of what SAC does is through the stewardship compass and other literature, we've created a whole lot of education and advisory tools for companies to train their employees on. So executive education and advisory services is one of the things that we do. We've created something called the stewardship quotient, which is to measure whether the ideas of steward leadership are just posters on the wall or are they genuine and embedded into the culture. Uh, you know, a lot of everybody's uh, giving purpose statements and value statements these days, but are they just posters? The stewardship quotient that we've created actually measures that. The second thing that we are doing, which is very exciting, is we are creating kind of the Wikipedia of stewardship, a global crowdsourced portal where anybody who wants to share any knowledge, the, the more practical it is, the better, uh, may upload that content and anybody wants to consume it anywhere in the world can consume it. This will be completely free of charge. And unlike Wikipedia, which is only text, this can have videos, this can have learning sessions. It is multimedia. We'll be launching it before the end of the year, this digital hub, if you will, on stewardship. You mentioned investor stewardship. So the other thing that we do is we, uh, we, we, we look at Singapore stewardship principles. This is more Singapore focused for institutional investors. And uh, Singapore chooses to call it the stewardship principles rather than the stewardship code like in the UK and other countries. So we are kind of the uh, chair of the committee of a cross industry committee that, that, that is the custodian of Singapore stewardship principles. So we promote awareness amongst the uh, asset managers and the asset owners on the investing side. Um, and finally, this year, we are launching something called SL25. What is SL25? It is Steward Leadership 25. Every year, starting this November, along with INSEAD and SPH, State Times and Business Times and other uh, SPH publications, we will publish every year the list of the top 25 companies in steward leadership in Asia Pacific. These will be stories of organizations of leaders that have made the maximum progress towards the ideas of steward leadership as represented in the stewardship compass. Uh, and this list will start this November and we will announce it at an annual summit called the Steward Leadership Summit every year. So to summarize, uh, executive education and advisory, digital hub, um, Singapore stewardship principles and the Steward Leadership 25 and Steward Leadership Summit. Roughly speaking, those are our main areas of focus. So you write extensively and you have all this work at Stewardship Asia and prior um, at ECLIF in Malaysia. What do you personally hope to accomplish with all this body of work? I, I suppose, you know, this is a Clayton Christensen question. How will you measure your life? Yeah, so 
I hope to wake up as many individuals and organizations to their true potential. That's the short answer. I hope have them realize that true success lies giving, not receiving, in maximizing your life worth, not your net worth. And my experience is that if you focus more on life worth rather than net worth, your net worth needs get taken care of. So that's what I hope to do and leave behind in the writings and the speeches and all the, all the education work and the advisory work we do with corporations around the world. That's what it's aimed for. Uh, one of the questions that I like Christensen question, the question that I ask people is, are you death ready? What does that mean? Are you death ready? It means if you died tomorrow morning, would you have any regrets? And would your life would have meant something to the rest of the world? Or did you just come into this planet and left one day? And, not, and it made no difference. That's what I mean by death ready. Are you death ready? Will you have regrets? And have you left something be useful behind? So that's what I hope to get people to understand. Thank you so much for your time. Rajiv Peshavria, the CEO of Stewardship Asia Centre, backed by Tamasic in Singapore. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank Investment Banking Group. 